Good church. It's Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. I want to welcome all of you to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service. Thank you for being with us here today. It is, of course, uh, Lunar New Year, so many of you uh, are likely celebrating that with uh, friends and family and close ones. So hopefully your celebrations are uh, exciting and pleasant. Um, I don't know. Perhaps you're not. Thank you for being with us instead. Um, as we gather together to worship God, allow me um, to open our time by calling you to worship. I'd like to uh, firstly, you know what, I'm forgetting my order. We're going to begin with the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you could rise with me from your seats as we recite the Apostles' Creed together, we'll have it on the screen for you. Uh, for those of you who may have not yet memorized it, which is totally understandable. Um, yes, let's recite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to read to you from Psalm 114. It's a short psalm. I'm just going to read all of it. This is a psalm dedicated to uh, God's provision and deliverance of Israel from Egypt in Exodus. So listen carefully to Psalm 114. If it helps, you can close your eyes and focus on the words of the psalmist. Psalm 114. When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs, what ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Amen. Reading the psalm this week, it reminded me of God's deliverance of his people. And at times, how much we are in need of reminder of his total authority over all creation. At times, your life may seem uh, like there are obstacles that cannot possibly be resolved, that the hand of God cannot possibly work in those circumstances. And yet we are reminded, as the psalmist has recorded for us, for the reminder of Israel and of their deliverance from Egypt, that whether it be a powerful nation, a mountain, a hill, a sea, there is nothing, nothing on this planet that does not respond in obedience to the command and word of God. So let's be reminded once again of his providence, his provision, his deliverance, his grace, his mercy, and his all power and authority over all things. Let's close our eyes in prayer as we come before this holy and powerful God. Let's tremble before him in a holy reverence as we are in awe of his majesty. Let's pray together a prayer of repentance as we come before him.
all this in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to draw your attention to the screen. We're going to be reading question 93. This is quite a short one, of course. Last week, we looked at question 92 of our Westminster Shorter Catechism, which asks, what is a sacrament? And uh, today, the question asks, which are the sacraments of the New Testament? And in the Protestant tradition, uh, we recognize two. So let's look at the answer. It's a short one, probably the easiest to memorize. Uh, answer to question number 93, which are the sacraments of the New Testament? The answer reads, the sacraments of the New Testament are baptism and the Lord's Supper. I'm sure you're familiar with both if you've grown up in the church. Uh, many, if not most or all of you have uh, been baptized likely. And uh, the Lord's Supper, of course, is something we partake in. Union, right, of the saints, we come together at the Lord's table to take the bread and take the wine and remember the body and blood of Christ. So these are the two sacraments we recognize uh, in our tradition and in our faith. Uh, it differs from the Catholic Church, so look into that, uh, but this is an important element for us to remember. Uh, next week, we'll look at ex exactly what baptism is, so we'll look at question 94 next Sunday. With that said, allow me to pray as we enter a time of song and praise of our God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you so much. We thank you for this time as the body of Christ comes together on this wonderful day, on the Lord's day, to worship you. Thank you for gathering your church. Thank you for being with us always. The Father, you are never, ever not present with us. And at times, although our minds would wander and forget this truth and reality, uh, Lord, may we be always in constant remembrance of you. As we gather our, not just our bodies, uh, but our spirits together at this time, may we worship you and rejoice uh, in your praise. May we lift prayers. Uh, may we just intercede on behalf uh, of those both here and outside these walls. We pray, Lord God, and we seek uh, for others to come to know Christ and to know him as Savior and Lord. We also, Lord Father, just read from your word and we ask as we dwell in it that the Spirit would dwell in us and that the Spirit would empower us to be able to understand and comprehend these truths that are so powerful and so meaningful and at times we diminish it to simply ink on paper, but it's far beyond that. So God, would you just renew our minds this day with your holy word. Cleanse us from our sin. We know that Christ has shed his blood on our behalf. So we thank you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Our praise team will lead us in a time of song. Would you rise from your seats as we sing? Thank you. 
welcome you all again uh, to our service. Thank you for being with us. If it's your first time, welcome to our Sheepgate service. If you have a Bible, please open it to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be reading the same set of verses as we did last Sunday. Uh, now, I must admit, um, I did not uh, anticipate this, but last week I told you it would be a two-part sermon series, uh, I guess a mini-sermon series. It's really going to be three, so I've broken it down. I decided to do this just because I think the text we'll be reading today or focusing on today uh, deserves the attention uh, that we give it this afternoon. So if you can turn with me to Mark chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 20 to 35, the entirety of it, but focus today on verses 20 to 30. Last Sunday, preached on verses 20 to 27. We'll do a quick recap of that after reading it. So Mark 3, verses 20 to 35 is where we are today. We're going to read it in its entirety one more time to refresh in our minds about what the text reads. I'll read from my Bible, and you can follow in yours. Mark 3, 20 to 35. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. He called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who? are my mother and my brothers. Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. This is the word of God. I'd like to pray this afternoon for an unreached people group. They come from China. In a couple moments, we'll be praying for China, especially with um, the catastrophic... Uh, reality of COVID happening over there, it's, it's devastating. Um, last time I checked, I think it's nearing 80% of the population has COVID. Uh, that's, that's terrifying to hear. Uh, but we're praying for a people group uh, of about 353,000. Um, they are the Hmong Shua of China. They live in a very small, uh, as a small contingency, I guess, in, in sort of the middle part of China. I'm not too familiar with this people group, uh, their religion is unknown, uh, mainly ethnic in origin, and uh, probably some sort of traditional uh, religion that they've kept. Uh, only about 1.8% appear to be reached with uh, the gospel. So we're praying for them this afternoon. We're also praying for China uh, due to the unfortunate reality of what's happening uh, with the coronavirus and um, many, many deaths whatever you believe about uh, the virus really the reality is people are dying and whatever the cause may be uh, death is of course not something we celebrate uh, so we'd like to pray for them for a resolution uh, we're also praying at this time uh, for what's happening in happening in uh, peru if you're familiar with machu picchu very famous tourist site it's under lockdown at the moment as protesters are protesting against their newly elected president and unfortunately um, causing many tourists to be stuck in that country and uh, causing some issues, uh, potential riots, and uh, danger, of course, for foreigners. Um, so, uh, morning, I was just reading up on it. Um, I didn't know much about Machu Picchu, but it's a very interesting site. Uh, but let's pray for, hopefully, a peaceful re resolution there as well. With that said, brothers and sisters, let's pray, bow our heads in prayer, and begin. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for Mark's penning of these things so that we could read them and learn and gain from them. 
Sometimes Sundays and sermons and uh, Bible reading could become mundane. And uh, the Christian at times could become numb. Numb to the important and valuable lessons that are taught in Scripture, whether they are things known or unknown to us. So instead of seeking something that will just bewilder us, seeking excitement, would we instead seek your truth, your truth that continues to teach and humble the heart that is so prone to wander. God, we pray for um, the Hmong of China. We pray, Lord Father, that you'd be with them, that the 353,000 of these people, the near 98% of them that do not know Christ, that they would come to hear the gospel and respond in faith. Please be with them, O oh God, for they need you so. Lord, we also pray for what's happening in China in terms of the COVID and coronavirus. We ask, um, hopefully, that the deaths uh, would decrease and we would cease to see uh, people dying from this virus. Um, and we just hope for resolution. It's very unfortunate uh, to hear what's going on. God, we also pray for Machu Picchu and what's happening in Peru as uh, people are threatened, their lives are threatened due to riots and protests. Would you be with them, bring them home safely. We thank you, God. Thank you for this day and your people that we can be with. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Our sermon today is entitled The Unforgivable Sin. It's probably something you've heard. Uh, I just got back from Chicago uh, about a month ago now. I had a little girl, grade five girl, go up, and her prayer request was, uh, I committed the unforgivable sin. Please help me to not commit it again. I don't think, I think she needs to hear this sermon because I don't think she fully understood what the unforgivable sin was. Um, to her credit, she's grade five. Knowing the existence of the unforgivable sin in scripture and uh, the fear of committing it maybe is something to commend in the heart of a grade five girl. Very, very extraordinary. For many of us, we might be familiar with the terminology. We might be unfamiliar with what it actually means. So my, uh, my goal today is hopefully to, ex to expound your minds to understand this better. What a unique and peculiar text this is, is it not? Perhaps some of the most famous words of Christ and one that continues to conjure both curiosity and perplexity in the minds of many believers today and non-believers. There's a warning and danger to the text that to some could be frightening to any Christ follower. For all we've been told is that Christ has died for all my sins. They're all forgiven. And yet, here, the possibility of committing a sin that is eternal in consequence and unforgivable. Is this possible? How can this be? Furthermore, what is this sin? Because I certainly don't want to commit it. The immediate thought is this. How bad is this sin that Christ's blood cannot cover it nor wash it away? It is admittedly a difficult passage, a difficult concept, and a difficult teaching to preach on as a sermon, but I will attempt to do that today. And I hopefully the Spirit will make sense of it to all of us as we comprehend what is written for us. One of the five tenets of the Calvinism, which has been call, or coined as TULIP, uh, if you're familiar, is limited atonement. That's the L of TULIP, right? This statement of belief stands uh, in contrast to the Arminian stance, unlimited atonement. The atonement aspect is simple. It speaks of Christ's once-for-all death as the sacrificial lamb who died in our place and paid the cost for all our sins. But the limited part, that's the part that might be of news to some of you, or at least provocative in thought. See, I agree with R.C. Sproul's preferred terminology in using this term, definite atonement, which gets to the heart of the original doctrine. What it does not mean is this, that Christ's atonement on the cross had a limit on its efficacy to cover all sins. What it does mean is that God, in his good and perfect will, had a definite plan for which all sins committed by God's people, that Christ's atonement would have effect on those people and their sins. Water in and of itself has efficacy to quench thirst, but it does not mean that its effective ability to do so 
is dependent on whether or not it is consumed. So then the question comes to us today in the text. Is there a sin so vile and so indecent that Christ's atonement has no efficacy over it? And if there is, what does that mean for the salvation of God's people? For what if they were to commit this so-called unforgivable sin? These are perhaps the questions that Mark's audience dealt with as well. And I imagine our curiosity would be shared with them as well today. So just two points to today's sermon. I'm going to focus on verse 28. The first point, all sins to be forgiven. And the second point is this, to never have forgiveness. Verses 29 to 30. So let's look at these verses. Let's look at these points. The first point, all sins to be forgiven. Let us begin this afternoon with what we know before we get to what we are unsure of. All sins carry with them the wage of death, right? Romans, for this wage of sin is death. There is no sin deserving of more eternal damnation than another. The famous novel Inferno, written by Dante, depicts within it, within it a leveled system of hell where there are nine levels or circles before the final tenth realm where damned sinners go to pay for their wretched lives. If you've ever read this book, it's quite creative, but not exactly biblical. The circles they end up in is determined uh, by the severity of their most heinous acts of sin in their earthly lives. The first circles begin uh, being the widest and most accommodating of the so-called least of hell-bound sinners. And the final narrower circle as hell declines to its lowest depths, being reserved for the worst of the worst. This is where Dante encounters Hitler, for example. As creative and imaginative as Dante was in constructing this image of hell, it is certainly not accurate. It suggests a human-like legal system in which the punishment fits the crime. That's our earthly legal system. That's our judicial system, right? In the Bible, hell is hell. And all are deserving of it. For we are all wretched sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. See, what is remarkable is that God, although good and perfect and holy, was willing to not only save some from this deserved death, he was willing to do so by the sending of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came, who died, and rose, and ascended into heaven, and will come again. All this, that he might be an atonement for our sins, and our hope in life and death. You see, the price for sin is death, and that's never changed. And so the price that we ought to pay, Christ paid on our behalf. He died. He being Jesus, the Son of God. It is by his death alone that one can be saved, by placing their faith alone in him as their Savior and Lord. Brothers and sisters, there is no sin that this death cannot cover and account for. For its efficacy and its power infinitely surpasses and is sufficient to cover all sins. It is not limited in its efficacy to do so. See, those who believe in him, call on him, their sins are totally forgiven no matter how wretched you are. Now on earth, as we see in the Old Testament and its laws, there are temporary punishments that God providentially allows as immediate consequence for sin. We see the flood during Noah's time. We see David losing his son. We see eye for an eye. We see other instances where earthly punishment is executed. But these are not the eternal consequences of sin. Adam and Eve are removed from the garden and cursed, but they are not immediately sent to hell as they should have been, as was the case for Lucifer and his legion of angels. And these punishments are permitted on the basis of the severity of the sin committed. But don't confuse the temporary earthly punishment with the eternal consequence of sin. The Bible does distinguish between degrees of ethical and moral infractions, such as murder being far worse than lying, 
but the eternal punishment is all the same. Let me give you an example. Imagine some kids who wanted to skateboard jump over a cliff with, with, with a skateboard, I guess. <laughs> imagine the first kids, imagine the first kid getting 90% across this cliff, jumps and gets 90% across. That's pretty good, 90, 9 out of 10, that's not, not too bad. The second 50 and the third 25. Certainly the first kid was so much more superior than the rest, especially the last one, 25 to 90, like that's, that's pretty sad. That's like more than three times better, right? But here's the reality. They all fall and die to their death. They're all dead. Good for you. You got 90% of the way there. Dead. Much better than the worst, but still does not get across. We could claim we're morally slightly better than each other, compare and contrast with one another. I'm a little better than that person. Good for you. You still ought to die. We don't qualify for heaven, not one of us. So here's maybe a lesson you have to learn, a lesson certainly I had to learn. Don't look down on the brother or sister next to you because they're committing more sin than you. Help them. And if you're the one helping, don't think of yourself so much better than the rest. For you need just as much help to get the rest of the way. For the only means is Christ. So praise God for Jesus, for he is like that of a bridge. The only means by which that cliff can be cleared by only those who walk by it. Remember that. So brothers and sisters, all sins deserve death. All sinners deserve death. But those who place their lives and their faith in Christ Jesus, to them, all sins will be forgiven. That's the easy part, right? That's the easy part of this text. Then we get into verses 29 to 30, and everything just seems to be a little bit confusing now. So let's take a look. Here is the presence of a sin as unforgivable. What? That just seems to contradict everything we just said. Now with the, all of this said, what then do we do with this unforgivable sin? Here's James Edwards in his commentary who writes, The sin against the Holy Spirit is one of the most disturbing statements of Jesus in the Gospels. I tend to agree with him. This text found both here and in Matthew's Gospel, along with the warnings of Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Matthew 7 at the end, he warns those who, who say, Jesus, Jesus, did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. This conjures immense fear in my mind. The warning is directed in both cases to a group who think they are in the clear, that they are on solid ground, that they are most certainly safe, and yet they are utterly dead. I fear these texts because I think to myself, could that be me? Being a pastor is no protection from self-doubt, and I too, of course, sin all the time. So the threat of there being a sin that I could commit that would disqualify me, seemingly, from being holy and from being saved is quite daunting. At least that's the initial impression I get from the human mind in reading the text. But let's examine it a little bit closer so that we can comprehend it properly. Now, there are two elements to this initial verse 29 and the phrasing of Christ's words. Let's pay close attention to it. The first is this, that those who blaspheme, let me define blaspheme. Blaspheme meaning to state something irreverent or disrespectful or offensive to God. Against the Holy Spirit. So blaspheme, those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. That's the first statement. They never have forgiveness. Okay, so that's warning, number one, or at least the first element of it. So forgiveness is not accessible or possible for those who do this, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And the second element builds on the first. This act of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is defined as an eternal sin. In other words, the consequence of this sin will lead you to eternal death. So the sin of doing this has eternal ramifications. 
But the verse that unlocks the meaning to what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is and what the unforgivable, unforgivable sin really means is verse 30. We see there something that Mark rarely does in his gospel. He gives us a note of commentary. This is why you got to read your Bibles carefully. First, he's quoting Jesus. Truly I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. End quote. Verse 30. Because. That's Mark speaking. Mark is speaking about what he has just written. He rarely does this. In fact, if you've been paying close attention to this entire gospel so far, he has never done this. So this is the point of the text where he's writing and he's going, hold on, they're going to misunderstand this. i got to add a little bit of detail so they understand what this means. I don't want to leave them hanging. And so he does this for us. Almost as if he was sure his audience, both initial and later, would not be able to understand or grasp what we've just read and heard. And what he states there is that the reason this sin is eternal is because they, in this case the scribes, were saying Jesus had an unclean spirit. We just read this in verses 20 to 27. He is of Beelzebul. He's possessed by him, Satan. When we rewind to our previous passage in verses 20 to 27, we're reminded of the accusation that was brought forth to Jesus by the scribes that he was possessed by Satan himself, that Jesus was in fact an agent of evil and not of good, that his origin is not God, but the devil. Now then ask this, why is that claim or belief of Jesus an unforgivable sin? Here's James Edwards, two quotes. I think they're very prolific for us to understand. First, this is an eternal sin, since anyone who, willingly or not, cannot distinguish evil from good and good from evil, darkness from light and light from darkness, is beyond the pale of repentance. You cannot tell which side is good, which side is evil. Quote number two, the sin against the Holy Spirit is thus not an indefinable offense against God, but a specific, listen carefully, misjudgment that Jesus is motivated by evil rather than by good. That he is empowered by the devil rather than by God. Let me try to sum it up. If one believes something so incorrect of Christ and his works, inclusive of his death on the cross, then that gospel and that Christ, well, it's meaningless to that person. The condition for salvation, after all, is faith in Christ as the Son of God who came and died for you. It's not blind faith. It's a proper faith with a proper truth and a proper understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. If you believe thus that Jesus was an agent of sin and evil instead of the atonement for sin and the solution for evil, then not only do you have him all wrong, you cannot possibly be forgiven of any of your sins, for you are an unbeliever. This sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, against God himself, is not forgivable, not because of the magnitude or the degree of the, of the infraction. It is because the sin itself is lack of faith. And it is not just a position that is absent of faith, but it is a position of faith in Christ. It's a position of faith in Christ as Satan instead of Christ as the Son of God. And those two are polar opposite positions. This is not simply rejection of Christ as the Son of God. This is accusation against the Son of God. This is what we just defined as blasphemy. And so it is unforgivable and comes with eternal consequence. The Spirit's work in us is to illuminate to us the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to rudely claim otherwise about this revelation. I remember watching a famed neo-atheist, Christopher Hitchens, during an interview talk about why he's not a Christian and why he hates Christianity so much. The interview asked him, and he talks about how much he's read the Bible and studied the Christian faith, 
And his position was simply this, and I'm paraphrasing here, that even if all that the Bible claimed was true, and that everything he read was real, and when he died, he was faced before this holy God, this is what he said, he would still rather hate God and go to hell. Because he cannot in his heart forgive God for cancer, for AIDS, for racism, for wars, and for every catastrophe humanity has ever experienced. To him, God is a moral monster, and he would rather stand against that God than worship him. He mocks God in that interview. He laughs at him. I imagine this to be a similar heart of Satan, one who knows who God is and chooses to stand against him. I sympathize with Christopher Hitchens in that he knows so much and he thinks he's longing for good, right? But he cannot see it. He cannot see it in the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible, in him, he sees evil. And because of that, his blindness of pride and arrogance and human sin, all of those things deny him forgiveness. A reminder of 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. I don't know why I was reminded of this verse. It just, I just wrote it down. I think it like somehow ties in. <laughs> I couldn't find the connector. <laughs> I need another week. But isn't it a beautiful verse? Brothers and sisters, the unforgivable sin is nothing to fear. For if you know Christ as Son of God and you know him as Savior and Lord, you cannot commit this sin. You cannot. Here's a sobering idea, though, that I hope and wish that all of us will take away as our conclusion. It is not unique, at least in the text we read today, it is not unique to the unreligious that they would have a misunderstanding of Christ and his origin. The religious are equally capable of being sinners. Not knowing Jesus properly is not a symptom of unbelief. It's a symptom of sin. All people are capable and prone to not knowing Jesus correctly and properly, and for Christians, enough. What then do you think should be our endeavor and our pursuit? what do you see here but a crowd of religious men, men who are supposedly of God and of his word, and yet it is them who claim Jesus to be of Beelzebul? It is not the demons or the unclean spirits, nor the sinners, nor the tax collectors that they hate, but no, it is the religious leaders. Do not think of yourself so great that you are incapable of error. This text is warning that this type of error is possible, that maybe not to this degree, we need to be cautious and sober in our thought. It's not meant to conjure fear in you, believer. It's not meant to conjure fear in you, brother or sister, that you've committed this sin, like that grade five girl in Chicago. I should have talked to her. And in fact, if that fear does exist, you likely have not committed this sin. Here's R.T. France in his commentary. It is a warning to those who adopt a position of deliberate rejection and antagonism, not an attempt to frighten those of tender conscience. Do not let your pride blind you from knowing more of God, loving him more, and worshiping him more and more each day. My last words to you this afternoon, always remember that we are just as prone to sin as anyone else, and so we need Christ just as much as anyone else. Let's pray and reflect on what we've read today.
of life and everything in it. We thank you for our jobs, our education. We thank you for the various uh, different areas of comfort we're able to enjoy. Comforts that are a luxury in this world and certainly not things that we deserve. Um, Father, we just remember your gracious hand upon us that we're able to have and enjoy the lives we, we do have. And we pray that we would be good stewards. We pray that our stewardship over these resources would not be foolish or futile, but rather wise 
and be used for the greater good of your kingdom. So we give this offering to you cheerfully and joyfully for the sake and purpose of your church, its growth, and its ministry, for your name renown and your glory to be lifted. We thank you, pray all this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few short announcements uh, as we conclude our service today. Firstly, welcome to all of you. Uh, if it's your first time here, there's a couple new faces or maybe you haven't seen in a while, we welcome you. Uh, we get hope to get to know you and uh, get at least your names down uh, to welcome you to our church. So, welcome. Offerings can be sent uh, via e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to give towards our missionaries, both the ones in Asia Minor as well as the ones here, locally on campus, please just note that in the notes section. We'll make sure it's allocated towards those causes. Some of you have been asking about your uh, charitable tax donation receipts. Those are coming. Our accountant is working hard on it. Those of you who are accountants, you know how busy this season is. So he is, at he is hard at work. Let's give him a uh, thank you when, when he does complete it. <laughs> so as soon as those are uh, done, we'll issue those uh, ASAP um, to you. Please join us for fellowship at church, our other building just south of here, five minutes. We'd love to welcome all of you to come and join us for a meal. Uh, I think there's a meal prepared. It is, of course, Lunar New Year. I'm sure there's a blessed meal prepared for us. Uh, so please join us uh, for uh, just some fellowship and some good food. Uh, we will have confession study following our fellowship today. Um, so we will continue in our study of the Westminster Confession of Faith as we continue in chapter seven. So please join us for that. Uh, as it has been getting a little saucy and fun, I think, right? Uh, discipleship groups have started. Uh, so if you are a part of our DGs, uh, so far, so good, okay? Uh, at least from what I'm hearing. Uh, great feedback, and I'm hoping that all of you are enjoying that. Um, if at any point you'd like to get plugged into one of our DGs, please just talk to any one of us, and uh, we'd love to get that done for you. So anyone and everyone is welcome to join our discipleship groups and partake in our study on Sinclair Ferguson's book, uh, Devoted to God's Church. Now for the leaders, if you've been reading it, you know how uh, good that first chapter is. It's a really uh, great introduction uh, to what the church is and what the church ought to be and how the Bible defines the church. Uh, and the premise of it, I think it's fantastic, that first opening chapter. Uh, so everyone, please uh, take a read. Um, even if you're not part of the DGs and you just want to read along in the book, it's a fantastic idea as well. Uh, so please enjoy that. This Saturday, we have a volleyball tournament um, at uh, Vaughn Community Church. Um, and we'd like to welcome, is Jane? Jane here? Jane? Jane's our volleyball captain. No, 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 you. No, you. <laughs> Mikey's co-captain. I mean, assi assistant to the captain. Um, but yes, if you'd like to join, just talk to Jane and... From what I know, our average height is a little low. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we love some length where it counts. Um, we love uh, some, some height uh, if possible. Uh, but please talk to Jane. Uh, we're just playing for fun. And our team, our church team is sort of like a filler to just help with the tournament. Uh, so please talk to them. Um, I th yeah, I think there's a charge. What's the charge on it? I don't know what the charge is. 25? A person? Okay, 25 a person. So, so, so just talk to Jane about that. Also, our church is in charge of uh, food selling and distribution. So we're going to be providing lunch. I'm kind of contemplating two to three menu items. Uh, so if you'd like to partake and be part of that, help out with that, um, please talk to me or Liz, um, and we'll get you plugged in. Like, we just need some help with like simple preparation possibly on Friday evening and then on Saturday afternoon. You don't have to be there for the whole day. You just have to come like close to lunchtime, uh, prepare it, distribute, sell, collect money, and then we just give it to, we just pass along the money to the staffs, right? And all of this is being done uh, to help support our campus ministry. A lot of our students are part of Kingdom Come. They're having higher calling conference next month. So uh, we'd, we'd just like to support them if we can, where we can. Uh, so that's one way to do that. And uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to help out in that way. We have a couple birthdays. Victoria, happy. We issued like about 20 belated birthday messages. So all the, all the sinners are accounted for, all the belated, belated ones. 
tomorrow is Jet's birthday, so don't be belated on that one. Um, make sure you issue it on the right right day, right? Um, but yes, so Victoria had her birthday on the 18th, Jet's birthday tomorrow. But we have too many cakes if we do every birthday, right? So we decided to do one cake a month. That'll be next Sunday, and all the gifts will be issued on that day as well. So please, next Sunday, at least Jet and Victoria, perhaps you can guarantee your attendance so we could wish you a happy birthday uh, next Sunday and anyone else who has a birthday on January. So that is that. Um, I've had a couple questions about Thursday Bible study on the Gospel of John, and I think it's enough interest for me to relaunch our John Bible study. <laughs> no one's excited about it. Okay, um, so that will be uh, resuming sometime in February. So uh, possibly the first week, maybe, uh, depending on signups. So we'll see how that goes, and uh, Thursday nights or something like that, we will have our Bible study as a church and resume and pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John. So I'm excited to do that. With all of that said, brothers and sisters, um, oh, just one last announcement. In two Sundays from now, um, we're going to have our first PCA pastor guest speaker, so Lyndon Joss from Christ Church, that's Dinky's Church. He'll be coming to speak to us. Um, and then every month, I'm hoping to have uh, a new PCA minister coming in to speak to us. Um, and so I think it'll just kind of like get us familiar with the community that is the PCA um, and then they can get familiar with us and maybe give us some wisdom and insight so on that day I have a couple special things prepared and I'll give you more information next week so with that said please rise from your seats we'll end off the Lord's Prayer let us pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we, again, we'd just like to welcome you to join us for lunch. And we'll see you at the other building. Close.